Hello, you lovely people. I'm Sam. She's Paige. Hey. Hey, What's up? And with the power of dumbassery, we are M-Cubed, or M3, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. With our squirrely, chaotic energy, we love to do research on cases that make you laugh, cry, and of course, make you go full T-Rex. You know, the level of uncomfortable that makes your arms retract and head attempt to be one with your shoulders. And obviously, the only vocalization is, RAAAAH! <laughs> <laughs> Find us on all the major podcast platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in our dumbassery every Thursday! Seriously, come join us. Welcome back to week 43 at True Crime B&B. Week 43, and I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And this week, we are flipping roles. I am being the bad guy this week, and Bailey is the good guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of excited because I always have to be the good guy. This story is a woman named Susan Brockert, and she was born Susan K. Aiken, November the 27th, 1966, in Spokane, Washington, to parents Jean and Jack Aiken. She grew up in a busy and loving household with five other siblings. The family lived in Bellevue, Washington, where she graduated from Newport High School in 1985. When she went on to college, she decided to attend the University of Washington, where she studied sociology and earned her BA in sociology in 1990. As a student at the University of Washington, she dated and fell in love with a man named Joseph Brockert, so they got married in 1989, hence her married name, Susan Brockert. Mm -hmm. Susan and Joseph had two children together, daughter Madeline and son Jacob. She had grown up loving to travel. She was a ravenous reader. She was athletic. She participated in many sports. She was a standout athlete at her high school. Mm -hmm. She loved to shop, carry on long conversations, and generally just to be around people. She was lively and strong-willed and lovable. People respected her energy, and they all wanted to be near her. Susan's career turned into a very important aspect of her life, and starting in 1996, she truly excelled in her role with Bensussen Deutschen Associates, known as BDA. She expressed that she felt that the company really valued her for her accomplishments and her efforts. She felt seen by her colleagues, and the validation really made her shine. After 14 years with the company, she was promoted into a position with the product development operations where she was nominated two times for what they called the Circle of Excellence, and in 2008, she was named Sales Coordinator of the Year. Susan and her husband Joseph had separated and divorced in 2004. In 2009, Susan had started online dating, and she met a man by the name of Philip Howard Zimmerman, and they hit it off. He went by Howie. They began dating, and over the next two years, Howie was becoming a bigger and bigger factor in Susan's life. Howie went through a bitter divorce from his first wife during the start of the relationship with Susan. He was prohibited from contacting his daughter or his soon-to-be ex-wife. And in fact, she has a no-contact order against him that actually lasts until 2020. Wow. If that gives you any kind of foreshadowing. What a red flag. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Over the two years of their relationship, Susan and Howie had had a lot of ups and downs. Their relationship tended to be tumultuous. They seemed to be on again, off again, mostly on again. Mm -hmm. Howie was moody, but Susan tried to help him. She was loyal, and once in a relationship, she was very devoted. She planned to marry him one day, and in January of 2011, they applied for a marriage license. 
Susan's relationship with Howie didn't seem to her family to have a lot of obvious warning signs, no physical abuse, but some of her friends warned her about him because Howie could be verbally and emotionally abusive towards Susan. Mm -hmm. So he could be cruel, he was jealous, he was controlling. He made a Facebook page with Susan as his only friend so that he could see who else she might be talking to there. But since she didn't have any bruises or broken bones, no one suspected she was in any real danger. But even with these distractions and this controlling man in her life, Susan still managed to excel at her job. In fact, she was so accomplished and so appreciated by her employer that in 2011, she was awarded an all-expenses-paid vacation and retreat to Hawaii as a 15th work anniversary gift. Wow. Yeah. How do you sign up for a job at this place? Because that sounds awesome. She had probably made them so much money over that 15 years that Mm -hmm. they just saw her as a total asset and they just wanted to reward her effort. When Susan and Howie traveled together to Hawaii for this trip, things seemed to be okay. They arrived and checked into their hotel, the Fairmont Orchid Resort in South Kohala, where her other work colleagues and their partners were also staying. On May 23, 2011, they dressed for dinner and went out with the group from her work. They spent the evening having a great dinner, some drinks, and celebrating the accomplishments of the group and the individuals who were being rewarded for their years of service and their successes. Okay. Afterward, the group all went back to their respective hotel rooms and went their separate ways to get some sleep. Susan and Howie, like everyone else, disappeared into their hotel room and the door closed behind them. But shortly after they had gone in, Howie had barricaded the door so that Susan couldn't leave the room. Not long after that, Susan's friends could hear her cries for help. The cries soon became screams. There was also destructive loud noise because Howie was in there busting up furniture so that he could use it to hit Susan with it. One of the women guests knocked on their door, pounded on their door, telling Howie to open up the door, but his response to her was, Fuck off, I'm not finished. Oh, God. So then, of course, she called the hotel security about the disturbance that was happening in the room. In response, a housekeeping employee and a security supervisor went together to investigate what was going on in there. They heard Susan's screams inside the room, and they pounded on the door, identifying themselves as hotel security, but Howie wouldn't open the door. They attempted to open it with their pass key, but since the deadbolt was also secured, the pass key wasn't helpful. They still couldn't get inside the room. The housekeeping employee had an idea, and he went into an adjacent empty room to reach their fifth floor balcony. So he went out into the adjacent empty room, went out onto the balcony, and climbed over onto their balcony. Okay. As he opened the sliding glass door and looked into the room, he was able to see Susan lying on the floor in her bathroom, with her feet in the bathroom and the rest of her on the floor in front of the door. She looked back at him and tried to say something, but as she tried to speak, Howie came along and hit her two more times with a two-foot by one-and-a-half-foot piece of broken, one-inch-thick granite that he had smashed off of a tabletop. I did some calculations, and that t- size of granite would weigh over 40 pounds. Jesus Christ. Susan's blood was pouring out of her head wounds. Blood was all over the floor, all over the room. The furniture was smashed up and covered with blood. And as the employee stood there in shock, trying to take all of this in, Howie turned and looked at him, still holding the bloody piece of granite. He made a move to step towards him, and the employee slammed the sliding glass door shut and hopped back over the balcony to go back out to the hallway outside the room door, where he wasn't about to get smashed with the granite too. The two employees had now been joined by a resort manager, and the three decided the only option, since the master pass key wasn't working, 
was to break the door down. Mm -hmm. So the housekeeping employee kicked in the door. There were pieces of furniture in front of the door now, and Howie Zimmerman was also trying to push it closed to prevent them from getting in through the door. When the three men managed to get the door open, Zimmerman locked himself in the bathroom. They went to try to help Susan, who was lying on her front and had no pulse. She was now surrounded by a large pool of her own blood. Her colleagues wanted to help as well. The company's CEO came in and sat with her, hoping to be of comfort, but she was non-responsive and gave no signs of life. Mm -hmm. At the age of 44, though she was transported to North Hawaii Community Hospital, Susan died of her injuries. Mm -hmm. The CEO later said he will spend the rest of his life trying to unsee her head and face from what Zimmerman had done to her. Inside of the bathroom, people could hear Zimmerman attempting to call his mother on the phone. He seemed not to be intoxicated, angry even, or really upset at all about what had happened. He just wanted to talk to his mother, I guess. He spoke through the door to Susan's colleagues. He told them that this was all their fault for over-serving Susan, for over-serving him. He spoke calmly, he wasn't agitated, and he was cooperative with the police when they arrived. Susan's autopsy showed that she had died of multiple blunt force and sharp force trauma to her head and neck. She had suffered numerous blows to her head. He had cut her throat from one side to the other. She had defensive wounds on her hands and bruises all over her arms. Zimmerman was taken into custody and held on $2 million bail, which was revoked at his arraignment. Thank God. He was appointed a public defender. At first, that was in question because he was a property owner in Washington, mm -hmm. where he lived, but eventually he was appointed a public defender. Court records showed that Zimmerman had a history of domestic violence with his ex-wife, which we hinted at with the, with the restraining order, yeah. with four arrests for domestic violence assault, violating the restraining order, threatening and cyber-stalking his wife's divorce attorney because he was angry about the non-contact with his daughter. Mm -hmm. And in addition, he had also sent threatening letters to the Bellevue police chief, to the city council, and to other city officials. Why? Because he was a nut. He's just angry at the world? Like, He's, I don't understand. I think all of those threatening ones probably came after the restraining order happened. And uh, then he got arrested for violating the restraining order. And then he's mad at the police because they... Are holding up their part of the deal and keeping him away from her. Yeah, I mean, they're actually doing what the restraining order is intended to do. Mm -hmm. So he's probably sending the threatening letter to the police chief. And when he doesn't change his stance, yes, we will uphold the restraining order. Mm -hmm. Then he's mad and he probably wants the police chief fired. So he writes to the city council and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any evidence that everything I just said is exactly right but. It seems like a logical a sequence. Yeah, logical, yeah. Zimmerman's ex-wife, Amy, said that she's very aware that what happened to Susan could have happened to her. Mm -hmm. She said that she saw red flags about the relationship between Susan and Howie. And she said, in hindsight, it was likely a matter of time before Zimmerman cracked and killed Susan, or at least badly injured her. Mm -hmm. She thinks he just totally went off the deep end. The judge said that the murder was especially brutal and heartless. Susan's daughter, Madeline, who was 16 at the time, spoke at the hearing and said that Zimmerman deserves to suffer in prison for the rest of his life. She said, all my mom did was care for you. She wanted to believe that behind that controlling personality, there was good. Mm -hmm. Well, clearly that was mistaken. Zimmerman pled guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison, plus an additional 20 years for kidnapping her by barricading the door. In addition for the guilty plea, Prosecutors did not pursue life without the possibility of parole. 
but this sentence of life plus 20 served consecutively, which was handed to him when he was 47 years old, mm -hmm. makes it highly unlikely that he's ever going to see the light of day and be released. Mm -hmm. There was also, and I hate to even throw this in there because it's such a minor thing relative to what happened to Susan, but there was also a charge for criminal property damage related to $17,000 worth of damages to the furniture in the room itself, which is clearly... I mean, that is important, though, because that just shows you how fucking savage this was. Absolutely. $17,000 in a hotel room. If you are angry and brutal enough to rip a piece of granite, you said it was, off of a tabletop and... Yeah, he broke the tabletop. Fuck. That's... Yeah. Mm. It does reveal the savagery of what happened in that room. And what she must have gone through. It just mm -hmm. breaks my heart what she must have gone through. When the company's CEO, Susan's company's CEO, who was on that trip, contacted Susan's ex-husband to tell him this awful news, Joseph, her ex-husband, drove to his 16-year-old daughter Maddie's high school to break it to her. He had her pulled from class and took her aside, and all he could manage to say was, Mom died. He couldn't even speak enough to tell her what happened. In her horror of hearing those two words, Maddie just screamed and dropped to the floor. She was devastated at first, and she was furious. She decided at that moment that she needed to do something about the domestic violence that had stolen her mother from her and her nine-year-old brother. Mm -hmm. So she said that in that moment, her first thought was, I have to do something. I can't let this happen to other people. And it just blows my mind that in that moment of time, that was where her mind went. Maddie decided to use her experience in losing her mom in such a terrible way to help other people. She took training with LifeWire, which is a domestic violence support agency. Mm -hmm. She traveled from school to school giving presentations on her experience and explained how the verbal and emotional abuse her mother had gone through was a huge red flag. It's just they didn't have enough experience to recognize what that was going to lead to. Mm -hmm. Had they known that at the time, maybe her mother could have extricated herself from Zimmerman. Maybe she would not have been with him long enough to die. Within two years of Maddie starting to take her presentation on the road, she had spoken in front of over 70 classrooms. In those classrooms, she had talked to over 2,100 students. She said that after hearing her talk, a number of those students had come up to her realizing that the situations they were in were abusive, whether it be at home or with a dating partner. Mm -hmm. She was able to help them see things escalate. Just because she hasn't hit you, just because she hasn't stabbed you, doesn't mean that that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's too dangerous to just tolerate the verbal and emotional abuse, and she could help them find the resources to help get them out of it. And Susan's company, BDA, also started a foundation in 2012. This foundation, called BDA Cares, raised half a million dollars to fight domestic violence. BDA has supported Maddie's efforts as well and knows that she's made a difference. Reaching kids in high school with such an impactful and personal story, they're really proud of her work. And Maddie credited her mom for the strength that got her through the aftermath of Susan's murder. She believed that her mom actually helped her through it. And Maddie just hopes that she's made her mom proud. I'm not going to go into Maddie's current life because she's entitled to her privacy. But I did look a little bit into it because I wanted to see where she's gone. She's your age now. I was going to say this is what, 2011? So. She's 27. Wow. 
And over the years, she's spent a lot of time doing internships in domestic violence prevention and education programs. She has multiple certifications as a domestic violence advocate. Mm -hmm. I have come to the conclusion that yes, Susan would definitely be very proud of her daughter. But all that good work after the fact aside, it is utterly tragic that Susan and her two children and the rest of the many, many people who loved her all lost all those years together because of a violent, narcissistic man. And that's how domestic violence works. Mm -hmm. I think that people are becoming more aware. Mm -hmm. I think that they realize that that kind of controlling behavior. I mean, I've dated a guy that was like that. He never was emotionally abusive towards me, Mm -hmm. but he was super, super jealous. Mm -hmm. If I would go into a restaurant and talk to somebody to make an order, he would come and stare me down. Yep. Like, how dare you talk to another man? And I don't understand. If you think that I'm going to run off and bang this <laughs> like this kid at Waffle House while you're sitting out there at the table, you know, what kind of... What, why are you with me if you think I'm just... <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, we weren't together for long after that, stu- that stuff started happening. Mm-hmm. But with somebody her age who's going to high schools and stuff like that, that is really important because in this age of social media and stuff like this... Yeah. It is. They don't have enough experience at 14, Mm -hmm. 16, 18 to know that that behavior is toxic and it cannot be tolerated. And even to like look, if you find yourself having those feelings towards your partner. Yeah. Maybe that's some introspection you need to be doing in order to fix this for the future. And it's just. That's right. If you are so convinced that everybody around you is conspiring against you, Mm -hmm. that your girlfriend is going to cheat on you with anybody that will talk to her, then you have the problem. Yeah. That you need therapy, not a relationship. And you find a lot of the time that the people who are blaming all of their partners for cheating on them Mm -hmm. when it's not true, they're projecting because they are probably the cheaters. They're like, why? I know how easy it is to do because I'm doing it. So Yeah, like, so I can do it, but you better not. Yeah, so this That's the truth. This story is both very specific and very generally important because it's really necessary to understand what those signs look like. Mm-hmm. There are so many options for places that you can go to try to find ways to get out of that relationship safely. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Because those people don't make it easy to get away from them. And then you end up with a stalker, right? And so those people, they just all need to be dropped into a pit somewhere. I know. It's a scary world, man. It is. And there's so many of them. So, so many. Nutsos. Just nuts. Controlling nuts. Yeah. So just to follow up, I was wondering, they don't think was premeditated at all. It was literally just he had too much to drink or something that night. They got in an argument or whatever. He started just... And then just going nuts? I don't think anybody has any way to know exactly what happened in the room. So he never confessed to anything. He admitted that he killed her, but I don't think he ever gave any kind of factual accounting of what exactly transpired. He claimed that she hit him. I Mm. do know that. But you know what? If your girlfriend got tipsy and you said something and she whacked you on the arm, Mm -hmm. that is not an excuse to beat her to death with a piece of tabletop. Especially, she's literally, there's a witness there who can say she was not even defending herself. She was laying on the ground and you beat her in the head with the grand tabletop. That's, at that point, you're not self-defense. That's not even... I suspect that she 
just having fun. She was being celebrated by her company. Mm-hmm. Her company was thrilled with her performance. They had given her this awesome trip, and she was happy. She was excited. She probably had a few drinks and was laughing. And maybe it looked to him like she was flirting with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, she wasn't probably flirting with anybody. But to him, that's probably what it looked like. Because that's what he chooses to make it look like to him. Mm-hmm. To them, it's ownership. It's not It's not a relationship. It's, I own you now. It's what can you do for me. Yeah. And you're only useful as far as that goes. If you're happy, but it's not benefiting me, then why are you happy? Yeah, you don't it's, need to be happy. You stop being happy until I tell you it's okay to be and happy. On a human level, I can feel a little bit bad for people that experience that way of thinking through life because that sucks. It must be miserable, but that doesn't give them the right to ever take it out on somebody else. So, Susan Brockert. What an upsetting story. She was loved by everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone who spoke about her just told what an amazing, wonderful, loving, helpful, kind-hearted, sweet, vibrant person she was. And then this asshole didn't like that she was having fun at a party about her. This party was for her, and he didn't like that she was the center of attention. I mean, he's lucky she even brought him with, because if I had a wet blanket living with me, I'd be like, no, they just gave me one ticket, sorry. (laughs) Well, it's like the daughter said, she loved him, Mm -hmm. because when he was nice... He was lovable, right? So then he would get all moody and he would get down and he would be mean to her. And she was like, okay, well, I just got to get through this mean period and he'll go back to be nice again. And every woman and every man who's ever been in an abusive relationship gets sucked into that. Well, and she seems like such a sweet person where, yeah, you're going to see the best in people. He's not always like this. He's having a bad day. It's so easy to say that to yourself. He's just having a bad day. We all have bad days. Yeah. I hope he's having a lot of bad days in prison for doing that to her. Me too. So bring us back up, Bale. Well. Please. I'm going to. (laughs) I'm actually just going to jump right into the middle of the story. On March 4th, 2016, 41-year-old Natalie Karos was out and about in the neighborhood of Trinity Hill in Sutton Coldfield, Birmingham, UK. Okay. She was eight months pregnant at this point with her third child, and she had been walking to the shops in the town center. It was cold and raining that day, so she had nothing on her other than her purse, her umbrella, and her big winter coat. Okay. She was speaking on the phone with her partner, Babur Raja. He went by Bobby. All right. And as she's on this phone, she was actually heading to the town center to meet up with him and get a late lunch that day. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. As she was heading to turn onto the road where the restaurant they were meeting at was, she told him, I'm almost there. And he said, okay, well, I'm still stuck in a little bit of traffic, but I'll be there soon. I love you. And she said, I love you too. And they hung up the phone. So they were both running a little late. No, she was on time, but she said, yeah, I'll just get us a table at the spot. And then when you get here, just come in. So they said, I love you, hung up the phone. Like I said, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon and she's nearing the restaurant. She suddenly began to hear from behind her the thud of footsteps And as it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the busiest part of town with lots of people on either side of the sidewalk, she thought nothing of it. She kind of thought, oh, maybe somebody's late for the bus or something, you know? Right. So she didn't turn around. As the footsteps approached her even closer, she felt the presence of somebody directly behind her. And before she even had a chance to turn around, see who it was, they began just plunging a knife into her back. Oh, my God. And all these people were around? All these people around. Dozens of witnesses. Yeah. Holy Mm -hmm. crap. And so she had 
never saw it coming. She just heard of footsteps, said, oh, somebody's running back there, and then yeah. they jumped on her back. You so, can't turn around every time you hear footsteps in the city. Mm-mm. The attack was incredibly frenzied, as Natalie did everything that she could possibly do to protect her vital organs and also her unborn child. Eight months at this point, she's about to pop, you yeah, know? That's a baby at this point. It's a baby. Two strangers who happened to be passing by, who we now know to be a man by the name of John Mitchell and Anthony Smith, didn't know her at all, but they saw this happening, stepped in and began dragging the man off of Natalie. Oh, good. And that gave her a little bit of time to get to her feet and try to run the rest of the way to the shops to call for help. Unfortunately, though, the wounds she had taken were so severe and she was bleeding so profusely, she got up, ran a couple steps, and then collapsed against the wall of a nearby shop. After she had collapsed against the wall, she temporarily lost consciousness. And just as she began to come to again, she looked up and saw that the two men that pulled her attacker off of her were now also severely injured. I forgot to mention, this knife he had was a 12-inch carving knife. Just, so, just the blade was 12 inches? Just the blade itself was 12 oh inches. God. They had tried to keep him down as long as they could, but he'd slashed at them too, and now they were wounded. Oh, and geez. so this guy got back up and started bolting back towards Natalie, who's now crouched on the ground with What's her head between her legs. What's with her? She has no idea. She doesn't recognize him. She's like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And so she just, at this point, she's crouched down, and so she just kind of put her head down, covered her neck, and held her arms against her abdomen to try to protect any other blows that could come. And he continued to stab her a little bit more. And at this point, when Natalie was close to losing her battle, the two men who, again, are injured still from trying to help her before, came back and got him off of her again, along with the help of a, a third passerby by the name of Callum Gibson. The three of them were now, they had a little bit more force behind them, and they were able to restrain the man until police could arrive. Wow. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Just imagine being the people walking by there and having no clue what's going on, and, and then you being one of those people, and you just take it upon yourself to go and try and save this woman's life. Mm-hmm. And now you're... Now you're injured, but now you're invested, mm-hmm. you know? Well, they said one of the first two men that came up, I think he was like 17 or 18. He was a young man. He was just a teenager walking by and saw a woman in need and jumped right in. No questions asked. Wow. So I don't think she, obviously she probably wouldn't be alive if it weren't for those three not. gentlemen. So I just wanted to give their names because that's awesome. Absolutely not. She mm-hmm. would not have made it through that. Natalie was taken by a rescue helicopter to the hospital. She regained consciousness during the flight, and she does remember how absolutely calm the paramedics kept her despite the unknown injuries that she and her baby likely were going to be suffering. Oh, God. Did she get stabbed that low in her back? Yeah. Um, Oh, no. So she even said herself that she had accepted that with multiple stabs to her abdomen, her baby was likely not going to make it. Oh, my God. And she kind of said, they kept me calm. The paramedics that were there, they let me know we're going to do everything we can. Yeah. Well, getting upset now is going to make your situation even worse. Yeah, getting stressed is not going to help. Right. So. They... But she also, as I mentioned before, this is going to be this would be her third child. So she has two other children at home still waiting for their mom to come home. Right. The paramedics kind of talked to her about her two kids while they were fixing her up, trying to keep her conscious and stuff, and that gave her enough strength to keep going. Right. It's like you you have other people that are needing you mm-hmm. to get home. After arriving to the hospital, it was determined that she had been stabbed over two dozen times. Jesus. With a 12-inch carving knife. That is just mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a nine-minute attack total 
So from the beginning of him getting on top of her, stabbing all the people taking her off, him getting back up, stabbing her some more. In nine minutes, though, someone couldn't come up behind him and clonk him on the head with something? Well, he had a 12-inch knife, and he was a crazy Well, I know, but if he's he's pointed towards you, and Mm -hmm. he's stabbing, and somebody comes up behind him Mm -hmm. and whacks him in the back of the head with... I don't know. A hard shoe might do it. Well, it seems like he was hell-bent and determined to do what he had to do, whether there were three men on him or not, you know? Yeah. So, in those two dozen stabs, she had 11 chest wounds. Oh, my God. Her right lung had collapsed, and she had direct stabs to her liver and uterus. Holy shit. She said while she was being treated in the helicopter and stuff, she was like, I have no idea why this man attacked me. Maybe he saw I was very pregnant and he had a vendetta against pregnant women. I have, she had no idea. That's was her best guess. Maybe she, he was mad at women or something. He, she had no idea. But if he was running up from behind her, how would he tell that she was very pregnant? If she's wearing a winter coat and her belly's in front of her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, think I don't think he could have she known. She was just trying to rationalize, what did I do? And that's the only thing she could come up with was, I'm happily pregnant. Or maybe he just hated women. You know, she didn't know. Yeah. So... So after she got to the hospital, she was immediately taken into surgery, and Natalie was put into an induced coma. In the meantime, the police had arrested the man at the scene, and soon discovered that his name was Bobby Raja. No way. Mm-hmm. What? So you might recognize that name, because I just said it a few minutes ago. Yes! Her partner, and the father of her unborn baby, Bobby Raja. Was he the father of her other two children, too? He was not. That was a previous relationship. Oh, my God. So he didn't want this baby. We're now going to go to the beginning. Oh, my God. I can't... Uh, I know. I mean, I, of course I can believe it because we do this every week. And it's not... But... The, it's just... Imagine her shock. <laughs> well, yeah, because they talked on the phone. He seemed fine. He literally told he her, i He was meeting I'll be her for there. lunch. Yeah. He I'll... said, I love you. Mm-hmm. And then he stabbed her 20 times in her yep. belly and her head and her chest. And he tried to slit her throat, but luckily she put her arms up and was able to stop So her. all that time she couldn't even see him. She was keeping her head down, so she well, couldn't even see him. I'm really jumping ahead. No, it's okay. I, it, That's literally that you're going through the exact process. She's like, there's no way. There's no way that could be my my baby dad. Like, you know? Like, yeah. How the hell? Little backstory here. Bobby Raja and Natalie had known each other since they were 15 years old. They'd gone to school together. They'd been friends for 25 years at this point. Wow. After they'd gone off to university, though, Natalie ended up getting married, meeting the father of her other two children, and then they had separated a couple years later, and she had gotten in contact with Bobby back on Facebook again. It's that damn Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so they started talking and catching up and discovered that they wanted to be more than friends now, and so she described it as a whirlwind romance where it kind of went very quickly, and in the next year or so, they moved in together. He became kind of a stepdad to her other two children, and he really loved the role. And then they're in their 40s now, and he expressed to her, you know, I love having your two children in the house with us. I love being a father to them. I would really like to be a father someday, too. And now that we're getting up there, we should probably think about doing that now rather than later because she's 41, you know. And so he convinced her to go ahead and have a baby with him. And she said, okay, we'll have a baby. And she got pregnant. So this was all his idea because he wanted to be a dad. I'm just sitting here with my mouth hanging open because... Mm -hmm. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. What the hell? Yeah. Okay. 
Having been raised in a strict Muslim family, Raja had kept all of this from them, including that he was with this woman, better yet, From his family. From his family. They had no idea about Natalie. Right. And eventually, it's not really known how they found out, but they found out that he was not only dating her, but that she was eight months pregnant because a couple days before the attack, she had posted her baby bump on Facebook and tagged him in it, it sounds like. Oh, wow. And his mom saw it. Oh, boy. So she contacted her son, Bobby, and told him this was absolutely unacceptable. She would never accept this relationship with this woman. She wanted him to marry somebody within their faith, and this just was an abomination, essentially, is what she told him. His mother shunning him because of this relationship and his future child, on top of some financial problems that he had been keeping a secret from his partner, he did what he deemed necessary by eliminating both her and their unborn child. And that's... The only explanation he gives. You know what? When you see these cases which are motivated by some either family belief or religious belief, mm-hmm. where they've done something that is considered wrong by their faith or their family, mm-hmm. and then they go and do something a hundred times worse and they think that's okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not okay to marry a woman who's not a Muslim and it's not okay to have this baby mm-hmm. with the woman who's not in your faith. But it's okay to murder the woman and the baby. Yeah, and it's who's ready to be born. And it's not like she pretended she was Muslim. You knew that when you decided to impregnate her. You yeah. knew that your family would have this reaction, yeah. and you did it anyway. So why did she and your child have to die for you to feel better about the situation? Yeah, but so, that's the kind of hypocrisy that I don't understand in these cases. And that's one of the things. And your family is going to think that that what you did is okay. Maybe they would. I don't know. Yeah, I don't But my know. family wouldn't think that was okay. I think they still kind of disowned him, though. I don't think they... Well, I should hope so. I never saw anything about a reaction from his family, and I imagine they're probably like... Would you know their... what? If your family's going to disown you for being happy in a relationship and having a child with a woman that loves you, then, then maybe your family is what should go, yeah. and not the woman and the child. You're a grown adult. You don't need them anymore. If that's how they are, and that's how the best you're getting from them is them telling you you're not good enough for whatever reason, then it's okay to be like, well, then I don't want to talk to you anymore. Right, because this is who I am, and this is the life that I have chosen, and you don't get to determine what my life is going to be. I'm 40 years old! And not to mention, if you really wanted to just be like, okay, I won't accept that baby, I'm sure if you had brought this to her, she would have chosen. You know what? I'll raise this fucking baby by myself then, and you can just leave. Well, yeah, she's like... Stab me, don't stab me. (laughs) Just, just, you know, take off. Bye. Yeah. What he had done, you mentioned, how did she not recognize this person? Well, he had disguised himself. Oh, no wonder he was late. Well, it sounds like he lured her there. That's, that was the whole plan, inviting her to lunch. Because he knew exactly where she'd be walking. Mm Mm-hmm. And where was the best, most out-of-sight place, even though it seems, wasn't that successful? I was going to say, the (laughs) out-of-sight thing seems to have failed. Yeah, so he had put on a disguise, he'd even, and I have a picture of this, and knowing how it turns out, where she's fine, it's all good, I'll show you and you can laugh, of his disguise. Because he literally, it looks like he took a sweatshirt and stuffed it up his jacket that he was wearing. So it would look like he was a little bit fatter than he was. And then he had his hood over his face and he was like wearing glasses. Do you think that maybe he stuffed the sweatshirt up in there in case he got stabbed? Maybe, yeah. In case she got a hold of the knife away from him or something. Mm -hmm. Totally, could have been. But yeah, that's how she didn't recognize him because he had his hood up and like 
drawn, you know? That's not really a disguise. That's really just... It's just hiding your face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After waking up from this coma, Natalie was greeted by five police officers in her hospital room. She was confused, and while she remembered the attack, she didn't know much more than that. She didn't know the motive, what had happened, why. She started asking the police officers, well, where's my boyfriend Bobby? Why isn't he here? Because why wouldn't you ask that? Oh, he was nearer than you think. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had the unfortunate task of breaking the news of just how malicious this attack had been. Right. Although she was obviously devastated by the turn of events, she did receive some happy news. Oh, good. Even though she had been severely injured in her stomach and uterus, her daughter had been successfully delivered with a C-section while she was unconscious. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad to hear that. Her daughter was a month early, and the knife had actually come within two millimeters of stabbing her fetus before they were able to take her out, but she was alive and healthy. Wow. That's just, that's just amazing. Yeah. So, like, while they, it sounds like they saved that news for after they told her, your boyfriend did this, but (laughs) your daughter, fine, you can hold her soon, Okay. (laughs) Oh, around so. all of your stitches and yeah but I actually have a picture too I'll send these to you as soon as I find my phone again <laughs> so we can post it to our Instagram because it is such a cute picture of her in the hospital holding her baby it's Aww. a little preemie and it's so cute Aww, not that preemie eight it's months a little eight bit months. preemie a, a little it's... bit preemie plus going through trauma I'd say that's a yeah. tone a little baby well what's what's amazing is that all the blood she probably lost and her lung was collapsed mm-hmm. that the baby wasn't deprived of oxygen yeah. enough to cause damage so i'm really really thankful well, for that probably in large part because she was staying so calm because a lot of people would be hyperventilating i can't breathe why can't i breathe like what's going on like yeah. i don't know what's happening because it's hard to breathe with only one lung yeah it's hard to breathe for two people with only one lung yeah <laughs> so because you get winded just sitting there whew. when you're pregnant That was kind of a happy surprise after all the bad she'd been dealt. For sure, that was a happy surprise. That's awesome. In June of 2016, so just a couple months later, Raja did plead guilty in court and received 18 years of prison for the attack, which he will be eligible for parole after nine. It is what it is. Natalie went to see him once in prison for closure, just to see if he at least would apologize, explain to her a little bit what was going on in his head, and he showed absolutely no remorse. What? Mm-hmm. Even after all this, he thinks that what he did was okay. Yeah, he didn't feel bad. And at one point, he started sending her letters because she wouldn't come back to see him anymore. She said, well, fuck you then, I'm done. Seriously? He started sending her letters from the prison saying, quote, he was proud of the way she dealt with everything. Yeah, she really needs you to be proud of her douchebag. Screw off. Yeah, so obviously she's never going to talk to him again. She doesn't give a shit what he thinks. Mm -mm. After healing and getting back to her new normal, Natalie remembered how incredibly calm the paramedics had made her feel during the worst moment of her life. Yeah. And in acknowledging that they were the absolute difference between life and death, she began fundraising money for Midlands Air Ambulance, which is the company that saved her. Good for her. Mm-hmm. That's a very good cause. Is that public or is that a private company? I think it's public. I think it's all public in the UK. Yeah. So at one of her charity events, she met a man who had a terminally ill daughter who was benefiting from the money she'd raised. Aww. This man threw a New Year's Eve party in 2018, which Natalie attended, and there she met the brother of the man she'd met at the charity function named Simon Little. Exactly one year later, Simon proposed to her, and 
just this year she announced that they just up and eloped. Not even just this year, literally the 25th. So this week. Oh my God. They literally just posted on Twitter, we're married. Oh my God. (laughs) So happy news for her. She got her happy happy news. So finally, she's got someone that Mm -hmm. isn't going to go psycho on her and... She found her love. Natalie has also published a book called Still Standing and has given countless speeches to people, young and old alike, on domestic violence as well as knife crime support. Anti-knife crime, I should say. She founded a nonprofit called Inspire to Quit Blades and works with the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner to advocate and help stop knife crimes in the UK. This past year, Natalie also was awarded an MBE, which in the UK is Member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, Mm -hmm. which sounds like it's, I guess, is presented to you from a member of the royal family for something that you've done to help out the UK. And she got that for helping out youths and her different charities. That's cool. I've never heard of it, but I thought the people in the UK, that would mean something too. (laughs) Is that the equivalent of what they give to knights it's i when i looked up what it is they said it's a step below being knighted or whatever it's kind of like there's a weird hierarchy like everything in the uk (laughs) (laughs) well yeah there everything in the uk is a hierarchy but they said it's like almost on par with it but it's just like a step below being knighted so pretty much yeah okay but that's just awesome and she just got married like i told you to her love simon and now she's very happy, and so huge congratulations to Natalie and Simon, yeah, and I'm that's so happy sweet. for them. That's a really sweet ending. And so what year did Bobby end up in prison? 2016. So by 2025, he'll be released? He'll be eligible for parole. I don't know if he'll be released sometime in the next nine years after that. Wow. But considering he's not showing any remorse, I could see him serving the full 18 years if he yeah. keeps harassing her, even if she moves. He keeps sending her letters. Like, it's just weird. And she, I will say, you won't be able to find any information about any of her kids online because she's made it absolutely clear she doesn't want him finding out their child's name, and that will never come out. So wow, try to respect that if you also want to <laughs> look into the story or tell it. Yeah. But, Absolutely yeah. understandable. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him finding her ever again. I mean, by the time he gets out, she could be 19 years old. That little girl. I just don't understand that the flip of the switch in his mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm thrilled about this baby. I'm thrilled. I love this woman. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy in our life together, but I know my mom's not going to like it. So I better stab you and kill you both. Well, and it really was such a flip. I mean, obviously it was premeditated because he told her where to go and then told her, he oh yeah, a knife. I'm coming up. And then he snuck up behind her with a disguise, some call it, whatever you want to yeah. Consider it. But she said the night before they were snuggled on the couch. He was rubbing her feet because she'd been on her feet all day and was talking about their day. He was talking about baby names and stuff like that. And then he was even laying on her belly and talking to the bump, knowing mm. he was going to do this. But did the next he know morning. then or did he decide that same day? It sounds like he knew then. This was all premeditated because they had plans to go to lunch the next morning already, the next evening. Or afternoon, I guess. Well, I mean, they could have made the plans. And then in the morning, he's like, oh, I can't pull this off. I can't make this happen. I can't make this right. It's never going to work with my family. 
I've it's, got I got to make this right with my family. I don't really know because he he said it was premeditated, but I like you said I don't know how far that goes. Yeah, I mean it could have been him on his way to lunch and then going back to the house saying mm-hmm. I better get this knife and I'm gonna stuff this sweatshirt up my jacket. Or if you it could also be the opposite where he knew he was gonna do this the next day, so he was saying goodbye to the baby. You know, that's a valid point too. That's just a perplexing story because you see stories like that. Other mm-hmm. ones, I mean, it's not like that's the first time we've ever heard of something where somebody just one day they're sweet, loving, and wonderful, and the next day, complete psycho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were talking about knife crime in the UK because we have kind of hit on that on other stories before because mm-hmm. there's a, a high incidence of knife crime in the UK because, you know, they don't have any kind of firearms. Yeah. They're so not allowed to have any firearms. So when people get attacked, it's acid or it's knives, right? Yeah. And how do you outlaw knives? I can, you can outlaw hunting knives. You know, you can outlaw switchblades. But you can't outlaw cooking knives because people have to use them to cook. Yeah. So how do you I, even so, how do you begin to solve that problem? Interesting. That was a really thought-provoking story because it's kind of swirling around in my mind and I'm trying to understand mm-hmm. and I, I just can't. And it makes me, makes me frustrated and mad. So, where can people find us? We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at True Crime B&B. You can send us an email with any kind of case requests if they aren't huge serial killers. Or even updates on a case if maybe we haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. That'd be or cool. Or if you have a correction to something that we said that you know is not correct. Mm-hmm. Because we are people and we make mistakes sometimes. And we are not from every place that we cover, so we might not know. <laughs> so anyway, if you have any of those things, you can send it to us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Yep. And... I think that's it. All right. Thank you, guys. We're always happy to have our crime family back, and we are out. And we'll see you next week for week 44. Bye. Bye. There's a lot of S's in this story, and they make my mouth dry out. It's probably because I'm spraying across the top of the laptop into your face every time I say an S. All of our llama spitting. (laughs) I don't know if llamas can say S. Probably not. (laughs) You know, that was a gross noise. Let me do <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Are you eating oysters over there? <laughs> I would be making that noise with gagging involved. God, why is this the part that makes me cry? It's always the happy part that makes me cry. It's pretty much every part that makes you cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this past year, Natalie was also awarded an MBA... MBA? MBA? <laughs> she was awarded the National Basketball Association. <laughs> Oh, I thought you said MBA. It was I Master did, of but... Business Administration. But is she in the MBA? She's not in the NBA. Is she an MBA? She is not. Wow. But I she's guess an MBE. Pretty good too. <laughs> you can't cook because you aren't mentally stable. Let's just wrap it up then. Okay. I'm gonna wrap it up like a bonbon. A bonbon? Bon. Isn't I that? I don't know if you wrap up bonbons. Is that a marshmallow candy like the things you see in gas stations? I think a bonbon is like a little. It's like those little chocolatey things with that's covered with more chocolate. Like a chocolate covered Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> what is a bonbon? What the? Who the hell wants a chocolate covered? Twi- I think Twinkies are disgusting. I do too, actually. I've never understood people that are like they love those things, and I don't know why. I've never liked them. Didn't they stop making Twinkies? Well, they probably could stop because the ones they have now will last forever. They say that those things <laughs> have true. enough preservatives in them to last like They're 150 in the years. <laughs> I think it's at it. 
I think it's that. I think that. It's that. It's I that. think. I think you know. I you think know. that it's that. Is that what I think? 